Hello and welcome to Locked On Marlins, your daily Marlins podcast with me, Peter Pratt. And don't forget to follow me, guys, on Twitter at MiamiMarlins underscore UK. Don't forget that underscore. Come on, guys. All right. And it is the Thursday episode of Locked On Marlins. And it is time for another UK compatriot to join me. Sean Barrett is back in the hot seat. Sean, how are we doing? I'm doing good, Pete. Good to be back. It's been a while since we've last had a little chat, or at least it feels like it anyway. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's good. Having a day off is always good <laughs> when uh, you're a Marlins fan. Every now and then you need a, a bit of a breather. So, uh, yeah, it's been a nice relaxed day. No concerns about the Marlins watching it again. So it's been fun. <laughs> oh, boy. We're just over, what, 30 games into the year and, you know, we can feel the pain already. The Marlins have botched it. It's been a tough road trip, no doubt. You know, I'm looking at Sean. Sean's looking at me. We're both thinking, boy, we've we've aged this week. Like, it's been a tough week for the boys. So, you know, um, but Sean, going back to last night's game, obviously I recorded straight after the game with Eli. But that ninth inning, mate, as you said, we were talking off air. They went to 3-3. You're thinking, oh, boy, here we go. But for the Marlins to put up that type of inning, it was, for me, it was a crucial inning. And I want to start, though, with Avi Garcia, mate. Avi put the exclamation point on the game itself. Three-run blast. Is it finally turning for Avi Garcia? Is it? Is it? I'm not. I'm not sure if you can say that it's completely turned off the off the crack of one bat. But I think I think I recall saying some weeks ago that one of the things I'd like to see is Avi coming up with no pressure. Yeah. And to be honest, there was very little pressure at that time. The Marlins had taken, it was an 8-3 lead at that time. It was pretty safe. So, you know, just go up and just revert back to your norm. Just go back to, you know, ignore what you're batting. Just go up and you're a major league batter with a lot of history. Just go up and do your normal stuff. And lo and behold, he, you know, jacks out a home run as well. Makes it an 8-run inning, an 11-3 win in the end. And, you know, not against nobody. I mean, I think had, at that point, had they, they'd probably taken out Melenson at that point, I think, before he hit that home run. They had, yeah. Um, yeah, they did. Um, so it was against Wendelkin. So, you know, it is that case of you, you've got him on the ropes and ultimately there was no pressure there, I don't think. If he'd, you know, if he'd just struck out there, the, the Marlins would have still gone on to win. It was a zero pressure at bat and, you know, I think that's how that's how a major league batter needs to go into the into the box. You know, I, the more pressure you put on yourself when you're at an app in an at bat, you know, it's not going to help you. So to come up with zero pressure and just swing like you know swing like you've got nothing to care about, and that's what he did there. So has he turned the corner? <laughs> Let's hope. But I think at this point we need to see some more. We do need to see some more, no doubt. And you're right, the two bombs for Avi have both been in, in low leverage spots. Uh, the interesting part too, there was a, a plate appearance uh, before that where there was some meatballs being served and Avi was missing meatballs in my opinion. I got into it on Twitter with someone who was saying, well, 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 you know, I'd like to see you try and hit them. Listen, they were meatballs. Avi knew it, I knew it, everyone knew it and he was missing them straight up was swinging and striking and uh, was not good. So nice to see him connect. The, you know, the outfield generally, though, Sean, it is a concern. It is not just Avi Garcia. We've got to call it out. Listen, Avi's sitting here now. He's hitting 204. So, okay, we're into the, you know, into the 200s now. OPS of 532 for Avi Garcia. 
Jorge Soler, he's hitting 178. OPS is 618. And listen, sneakily, Jesus Sanchez, he's hitting 217 now. 646 OPS. Jesus has really cooled off for sure, but in general, as a collective, with this group, this outfield, the starters anyway, that are pretty much the everyday outfield, the three, that is underwhelming at best as, as a group. The, the guy that is hitting... Brian Dela Cruz. Dela Cruz has been. He just. He just hits. He hits. The gloves nice too. Made a nice grab in the outfield yesterday too, for sure. Um, you know he's being optioned. They're thinking Birdie can play there. I don't know. I mean, what are we thinking here with this outfield? How are we seeing things shaping up? Because listen, it's not been good. Um, but do the Marlins have any really any wiggle room with these dudes other than someone getting hurt? Do they actually have any wiggle room? I mean, there is wiggle room. Obviously, you've got the guys in the in the lineup as it stands. You've got Bertie who can play. You know, I'd feel confident that he could play pretty much all three outfield spots. You've got BA who hopefully is coming back very soon, and he can play the corner spots. But in, in my eyes, I think you need to see Dela Cruz in the lineup more often. You know, he's he's the only guy in the outfield. You know, really, that's hitting. Out of the three of them, you, I mean, you called out the, the three guys and Soler and Avi, and and they got an awful lot of, you know, <laughs> they got an awful lot of bashing and rightfully so for their performance so far. Jesus to begin the season was was hitting really well, that's that's tailed off a little bit um, recently, and that's I mean that's kind of be expected. I mean, I think pitchers out there, are, you know, the more the more tape they see on him, especially if he's one of the key bats. You know, when you're going into a new city and you're going, right, who are the three, four, five bats I need to be scared of? If he's one of those guys that, that you, you don't need to look at the tape of Soler, you don't need to look at the tape of Avi because you know that they're, they're not exactly hitting the ball at the moment. But with Dela Cruz, with Chisholm, you know, and, and Sanchez, those are the guys that, if I'm a pitching, um, sort of t the, t the pitching in the, the team that are going to play them, that's, that's who I'm looking at and how do I want to attack him? And the teams have done that. They've, you know... One of the things I've noticed is with Sanchez is he's seen more sliders and he's striking out 40% of the time against sliders uh, for the season. Uh, the the cutter that he'd been seeing a lot of to begin the season, he's not seeing any more of those because he was hitting 400 on those. So teams will make adjustments and it's now the job of Sanchez to make that adjustment of saying, right, I'm, going to see, I'm seeing more sliders. I need to work my way through hitting them. This is it, like, Jesus, more and more eyeballs on him, the holes are there, they know where to target, and it's about for him to, to kind of make the adjustments back, I mean, that's the way it goes, we saw the same with Jazz last year, Jazz came out absolutely scorching, next thing is, the holes appeared, they targeted the holes, he had a quiet spell, then Jazz rebounded, and Jazz has kind of kicked on ever since, it's just a familiar, really familiar kind of developmental trajectory that these guys go through, and a cycle, and, you know, one thing that we have to say about these dudes, all three of them, is we talked about, we, we focus so much on the gloves and the defensive side, and maybe some of the deficiencies that we'd see. I don't think we've seen any deficiencies out there in the outfield. All of these guys have stood up, in my opinion, and looked at least average, at least, if not slightly above average at times, I don't know, but, you know, at least average gloves for sure, which is a nice surprise. So, if that is to be the situation and they can get the bats rolling around, then the Marlins are well positioned there for sure. The problem is, you know, with Avi 
and Soler with the kind of contracts they've got, like, they basically just have to play every day. There's kind of, like, no other real way around it right now. Maybe you mix and match De La Cruz and Jesus while he finds himself again. Why not? Makes sense. Um, Sean, if there was to be, you know, an injury or something, are we expecting JJ Blade to be the next guy up to come in and, and, you know, I guess add some outfield depth, maybe make some starts? Or could we equally be thinking about, you know, a Heira Encarnacion? He's absolutely gone bananas in, in AA as well with some, some serious power. He's on the 40-man. Not many options left. I think one option or maybe this is a final option year. So it's getting to a point with Heira where it's like they need to have a look soon. So what are you seeing if that, that kind of change was needed to be made? Where, where, where do you think they go? I think I think you're right with Heira in the sense of saying they need to see him. I mean, the, the, the clock's been ticking for a while and there were concerns with the contact rate and, there's, and they, those are going to continue, I'm sure. That's not going to change this year. There's issues with his defence, but at this point, you know, we've seen with the outfield that, that the Marlins are playing at the moment, you know, statistically, they're not grading out as good defenders. That, and that's, that's to be expected. But when you're watching, and it's not egregious, it's not super terrible, but when you're watching the games, you, you're not looking at it and going, right, that ball's been misplayed or they've made the wrong route on that. They're, they're not elite defenders, but they get the job done. You know, they're not going to make... You're not, they're not going to make that flashy play that's going to be saving runs and, you know, making the highlight reels. But your your 90% of the plays, your everyday major league play, they're making them. They're not make, they're not embarrassing themselves out there. Can Hayra do that? I'll be honest, I've not seen a lot of him um, apart from sort of highlight clips of his, his hits. But if he can be, you know, that kind of just below average defender or with the DH position, you know, depending on who goes down, if it is one of the, the first base DH only in, in Coop or Aggie, let's hope not. But if it is, he he would be that kind of ideal replacement there. I think outfield at the moment is where, which it makes the De La Cruz move even weirder, is the outfield is that one spot where I'd like to see another bat out there that can play the positions. And any injury with the way that the depth is with the team, any injury that occurs you know, if it's some if it's somebody on the infield, then Wendell or Bertie are going to make all of a sudden they're going to be everyday starters. That gives you less depth everywhere, even the outfield, because that's where Bertie can play, um, or you know they can take over from BA and BA can go into the outfield. There are many ways to sort of fit and nine players, eight well eight defensive players in the field with the team. So it doesn't necessarily need to be an outfielder for outfielder to get those guys up. It could theoretically be anybody in the lineup that would then necessitate bringing up an outfielder. It's a good point. Let's not forget as well, Brian Anderson spent plenty of time out in the corners as well this year. So BA could be out there. You know, Like you said, that then impacts Wendell. It impacts Birdie. Maybe impacts like, you know, Eric Gonzalez, Joe Donand, you know, the guys that we've kind of seen because of the, the COVID situation they've dealt with. So... You're right, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, if, if Soler tweaks a, a groin and he's down for, for 10 days, it doesn't necessarily mean it's an outfielder that's coming up. It may be another player serving another position, allowing the flexibility, the depth to kind of move around, fill and plug those holes. Like we said, because BA, he's definitely been there. There's talks of BA, I think, making a rehab start today. 
So that says to me, BA likely back with the club um, this weekend, I would say, for this this Brewers series. So, yeah, that's, um, it's an interesting one for sure. It's the it's the Jesus Sanchez numbers that for me have really kind of like caught my eye, and just how quickly they've dropped off. Like it's been it has been a rough stretch, but I didn't realize how rough a stretch it's been with Jesus Sanchez. But it's just part of the natural cycle, the developmental cycle. I'm not concerned. Um, he's still playing with a smile on his face. He's still walking, and um, you know it's it's just one of them. He'll he'll kind of get himself back in the groove. Um, all right, cool. Well, plenty of other topics for us to get into. Before we do that. Reminder, this episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. So, guys, Athletic Greens, I've actually been using this product every day. They send some to me. So, yeah, I had a nice package turn up from Athletic Greens. I've been using this product every day for the last three to four weeks. Started taking AG1. Well, mainly for more energy. I've been going down the gym. Started down the gym since November. And I thought, listen, let's get into this AG1, see what it's all about. I'm looking for some early early morning energy to get this kind of gym workout going. So, I'm a couple of weeks in, and listen, it tastes nice. It's like a tropical vibe in the morning. It's actually pretty nice. I'm enjoying them. It's not one of these kind of real horrible um, energy type drinks or anything like that. So, you know, it's I, I'm going to give it the thumbs up. I'm feeling good. Tastes good. And listen, what's in there? One delicious scoop of AG1. There's 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. I don't even know what that means. I need to look that up to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, your energy. There you go. Recovery, focus, and aging. Probably need that too. All of the things. Absolutely immense. That is Athletic Greens. Get yourselves over there at athleticgreens.com. Check it out. See what they've got to offer. All right, Sean. So, my energy's up, thanks to Athletic Greens, of course. Um, wanted to talk as well about um, going into this series and the weekend. I One of the main themes for the Marlins, and I've talked about it with Craig, I've talked about it with Eli, I've talked about it with maybe others last week too. The main theme clearly is what's happening with this fifth starter, what's happening with Eliezer Hernandez, and what's happening with Max Meyer. So, as we sit here right now recording Thursday... Eliezer is scheduled to be the starter on Sunday. Looks like that will be the case. Uh, Max Meyer will be going very shortly for Jacksonville. So no imminent move there. With that being said, Sean, I'm scratching my head on this one. I'm not seeing it clearly um, as to why they haven't made the move just yet. It has not been vintage Eliezer and... For me, I feel like the time is right right now to make this move. Is there any obvious reasons in your mind as to why the move has not yet been made? To me, not really, no. And you say that Eliza Hernandez hasn't been vintage, um, and I'd almost argue he has. He's been exactly what he's always been, and that is a... a, a fifth starter, a, a, a long man for a team that isn't competing. But he's, he is a major league pitcher. There are 12 to 15 teams that could use him. He'd be better than what they're throwing out on their fifth starter. But these are teams that are going to lose 90, 100 games. That's where the Marlins have been. He is a rebuilding pitcher 
a guy that's you know not going to cost you a lot of money. He's going to go out there and he's going to he's going to throw some innings basically. The, then that you know that will make a good living, a very good living for somebody out there. But is it somebody that you need to be throwing out there every five days, knowing that he's only going to go four, four and a third, and give up a couple of runs? You know, realistically, for a team that want to make the playoffs or even just a team that want to be above 500, you just, you can't justify it. And to me, I mean, I'm not an expert on, you know, the the, the cap and the, the financial sort of responsibilities of keeping a player down till day X so that you can get that extra year. And this year it's even harder because we've just had the collective bargaining agreement and, you know, it's all over the place nowadays. It used to be, you knew that, you know, on this set day, that's when people got brought up. And you could usually tell because that's when everyone brought up their top, top prospects. This year it's been a mess. Players have started off at the beginning of the season. There've been people coming up after a couple of weeks and we're seeing more and more guys come up. Um, so, I have to think that the only reason he's being kept down there at the moment is because they want to see something. I don't know what they want to see. I don't know what he needs to prove. You know, it would be nice to see today if he were to go out there and throw more change-ups today than he's ever thrown before in his life. Because I can only imagine that that's what they want to see. Go out there and just overload on change-ups and see what happens. And, And, you know... That's the only thing I can see. The issue for me is they don't match up at the moment. You know, he's going to go today. Eliezer is going to go on Sunday, Monday. So it's not quite that easy fit. It's not quite a case of, right, you you start that day. So they're going to have to play around with it a little bit. Off days obviously might affect that. But realistically, I cannot see a reason why a competing team as the Marlins project and hope to be can keep him down anymore. You know, it's already been probably a start too many. Today means it's two starts too many. And how many, how many more are we going to have to see? It's a really good question. And this will be a really, really tough matchup on Sunday for Eliezer Hernandez, the righty going against, you know, a pretty lefty heavy lineup. Uh, in the main, it's it's all it's typically a lefty heavy lineup. And, um, you know, they, they may you know, add in a couple of platoon dudes accordingly for that, etc. It's going to be a tough ask for him, no doubt. And, you know, for me, I'm I, I'm actually pretty surprised he's making this start. And I think this will be his last start for a while. Um, health, you know, all, all things considered, you know, Elias is going to, I think, go up and down a few times this year and will make some starts and may end up in the bullpen. The other interesting part too is, I uh, just wanted to flex into this too. You talked about change-ups. I'll talk, I want to ask you about Sandy uh, from yesterday too, where the change-up was, was sensational. Um, but uh, I also wanted to ask you about Cody Poteet, a guy that is flying under the radar. Speaking about a guy that could fill in and do a job, listen, even as a starter, as a long man, he's been sensational this year. But if I'm completely honest, I, I'd almost prefer to see Cody Poteet starting games now over Eliezer. Uh, Eliezer. Like, honestly, I would. Like, even if you... You know, put the opener out there. Maybe you open with, you know, Okert, and then you go, you know, Poteet for three or four. I think I'd prefer that over Eliezer right now. What about you? Yeah, I think you, I think you're right. I think I saw earlier you you retweeted something about you know the stats he's had so far, and you know I think we've talked about him a little bit in the sense of he's he's been good so far this year, mm. and 
you know, he's he's thrown in, in and here and in and there, and then he had those four innings the other day, and and he was great. And it was only then when I was thinking about coming on here late and going, yeah, maybe that's what we'd like to see. You know, I think when Maya comes up, and I think it was Joe Frisario on, on a podcast I was listening to earlier talking about the idea of having him come, it, they could have brought him up earlier and not ask him to go six or seven because we don't expect him to do that. But could he come in and, you know, have that three or three, four inning stint and then have an elite, have Poti or Hernandez throw another two, three innings on the back of that, make it not quite a bullpen day, but piggybacking each other. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's something that we see in some of the, you know, smaller teams and some of the, what I would call the smarter teams, like the Rays and the A's, as far as looking at things and optim- optimising what they've got. And that's what the Marlins have been saying. We want to be run like the Rays. Well, that's the kind of thing that the Rays would do. And another thing that the Rays would do and have done in you know their entire history is bring up pitchers when they're ready. Yeah. So you know you can't just say we want to be the Rays and basically mean we do, we want a low budget. You've got to act like if you want to act like the Rays, you've got to be smart and you've got to do the stuff they do as well. And that would have been, I think, that would be an ideal situation. As it is, the problem that the Marlins have got is Poti is the only long man that you trust. Mm. Now, typically, a long man is. Is not somebody you trust. It's just somebody that's like, oh, well, the game's gone. We're seven runs down and we're two innings into the game and our starter's out. Just go up and throw five innings. You know, I think uh, the Marlins did that with Yamamoto a few times. It was a case of you're going out there and you're throwing 100 pitches. I don't care if you go an inning and a third and give up 11 runs. You're going out there and you're throwing 100 pitches. And um, some of those games were proper ugly. They absolutely were. I recall one of them was against the Braves. I think another one was against the Blue Jays because I remember them very well. And unfortunately, my TV uh, felt the brunt of one of them, I believe, against the Bravos. Less said about that, the better, uh, for sure. Listen, Petit's been nice, real nice. And I think you make a really good point. Kind of loosely gone into this with Craig earlier this week, too, where we've got... There's obviously more analytics being used by the Marlins this year. There's, there's There's a... more in, more of an embracement, if that is even a word, around using analytics to make decisions and put the players in the right spot. And mainly being used on the hitting side and the matchups, etc., blah, blah, blah. But what we haven't seen is any mixing and matching with the starters. And, you know, they're just going straight up, you know, traditional, very traditional. The computer's not saying anything other than just go with five, see how deep you can go. And then we'll we'll get the bullpen out of there. So analytics is playing a part and a role, but not in that area yet. And like you said, like these smart teams, they're doing things differently. They always have done. They're playing the matchups with the pitchers. And where you've got these big lefty heavy, you know, top of the orders, get the lefty out there then, you know, try and pitch an inning against them, get off get off to a good start, then get Petit in the mix, see if you can go long, or even Aliasa. It's one of them things. If you can just avoid the top of the lineup once, maybe then he's got the opportunity to go further into the game um, than maybe he would do. I don't know. The Marlins aren't changing anything. The results aren't changing with Eliezer, and this is the kind of puzzling thing. It's like, okay, 20% of our games were basically kind of waving a flag to, um, which 
seems a bit strange. And listen, Eliezer did have a nice start on a Sunday, I recall, against the Phillies. Uh, went the deepest I think he's ever been, perhaps, in that game. It was the day I watched uh, the Marlins with my dad, and he enjoyed it. He said, Eliezer looks like a good pitcher. He was right on that game anyway. But yeah, um, plenty to think about. Plenty of conundrums. I'm just uncertain. I'm really uncertain of the why. I'd like someone to ask him directly. Why? What are you looking for? What's Max not showing? What's Eddie Cabrera maybe not showing? What are you waiting for with Eliezer? What are you What are you seeing from him? These kind of questions to try and piece things together. It's not, Something isn't stacking up right now. But nevertheless, guys, reminder, this episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online, And they continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information. From live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. Sean, if you were a betting man for this Brewers series, where would you be going? Marlins win, Brewers win. Where would you land? I, I'm, I'm not a betting man and I'm rather thankful for that fact right now. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, it's really tough. I mean, it's. It's going to be a challenging series. It's good to be back at home. It's it's good to have that day off in between. You know, we've got the heart of our line of our pitching coming back. You know, it's going to be a challenging series. I think I've heard a few times that you say that the Marlins and the Brewers they match up quite well in the sense of they're both pitching heavy, and then it's it's what can the bats do at, at the moment? You know, somebody. On the outside looking in, would probably trust the Milwaukee bats more. I think that, and I think that would be fair. Yeah. I think it's it's going to be a challenge for the Marlins. I think the win yesterday was really important. You know, to have that winning momentum going into the off day, going back home. I think it should be the team should be going home and being you know infused and looking forward to a home stand, a winning home stand. And I think, I think the Friday game will be the most important game. So you've you've got Pablo on the mound. He's been by and far the best pitcher on the team uh, in this early season so far. So you know if we can get six seven out of Pablo, get that leverage pen. Even though, <laughs> how much do we trust the leverage pen right now? Oh boy! But, you know that's that's where the team is ultimately. If you're going to get six or seven strong innings from your starter, the pen needs to come it out and do its job. You know, can the bats come out hot like they did yesterday, albeit in the final inning? You know, but the the game was really weird. It started off well with the you know the free runs to begin it in the first two innings, then it was just nothing, and then a huge explosion in the ninth. If we can get if the Marlins can get three, four, five runs in those first few innings, get a, a Pablo Day, you know, performance and then have that leverage pen come out. That will be huge. If the bats are cold and or, or Pablo's off, I don't think that will happen. I'd rather think that the bats would be cold. And then all and that or we get a blow up from the pen, I think you start looking at the series and going, this isn't going to go well. I think 
the first game will be the trendsetter and I just hope to God it goes well. This series to me feels similar um, in a way anyway to when the Marlins finished playing Arizona the last time and they flew out to San Diego and we had that four game series San Diego equally the Padres looking nice pitching heavy team what happened in game one two one Padres what happened in game two three two Padres I could see something really similar happening in this series game three FYI was eight nil Marlins listen I'm going to put it out there now it wouldn't shock me if we went two one two one pad um two one Brewers three two Brewers and then on the Sunday somehow Crazily, the Marlins win 8-0 with Elias Hernandez going 8. <laughs> that would just be, you know, but they're a tough team. They're pitching well. The leverage pen is insane. You talk about leverage pens for the Marlins, the leverage pen for the, the Brewers. I mean, that's the difference maker with these teams, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. They've got, you know, they've got a Yelich and they've got, you know, Rowdy Telez that is absolutely scorching right now. Like, Telez is, is on fire. I've always been high on Telez and thought he could do well there. But up and down this Brewers lineup, it doesn't blow you away. It doesn't like they they kind of stack up pretty similarly, in my opinion. If you look at the kind of ratings or whatever, I think you know it's close anyway. The starting pitching's close. Uh, you know, in theory, the Woodruff uh, Eliezer matchup on Sunday should be you know that should favor the Brewers. And clearly, if the Brewers have chances to close games down, they're going to close them down. Like Hader and, and Devin Williams are just so so good. So the Marlins have got to play well. Said it right at the start of the year. The Marlins are built in the way they're built. They've got to pitch well and they've got to play well. Limit mistakes and try and capitalize and get runners get runners across. Exactly what they did in that ninth inning. I'm really intrigued to see what, what momentum they can carry through. But Corbin Burns, Pabli, Pablito, bloody hell, what a matchup. Two absolute studs going. Pablo's been better than Corbin Burns this year um, thus far. I like Pablo's chances in this game uh, tomorrow, like you said. Um, but... Then you get into the lefty-lefty matchup Saturday. Then you got Eliezer Woodruff on Sunday. I don't think that's favourable. I'm not sure the lefty-lefty matchup is favourable either for the Marlins. So this could be... Actually, I'm going to put it out there now. I'm expecting... No, I'm predicting a sweep by the Brewers. A sweep by the Brewers. I don't think I've ever predicted a sweep by the other team. But I'm putting it on the record now. I think the Brewers are good. I think they're going to play well. I think the Marlins are kind of scuttling a bit right now. And um, I'm saying a sweep for the Brewers. Sean Barrett, what about you? Yeah, the more and more I look at the team right now, one of the main concerns I've got is the Marlins so far this year have made some pretty average pitchers and also some pitchers that I've never heard of look pretty good. Burns, and, and mainly because they strike out too much. Burns with 50 strikeouts in 38 and two-thirds innings. I can see an awful lot of swing and miss in that first game, and that really does scare me. Now, if my predictions for anything this year are anything to go by, then we're going to have a good day. <laughs> 100%. Your, your pre-season predictions have been way, way off the mark, and that is where we're going to finish this episode, actually. Jazz Chisholm Jr., uh, I saw today a tweet by MLB.com um, saying... Top five MVP candidates uh, for both leagues. And Jazz Chisholm was slotted in at number five there. I mean, listen, last night's bomb. You know, I know the Marlins piled on after it. But Stallings, we got to call it out though. Stallings with a big knock in a big spot, which is great to see. 
and Dela Cruz had equally done the same, and Jesus had walked. So listen, everyone was doing their bit, the little you know, the little knocks they needed. But for Jazz to come in, one run lead. We know what we're, you know, we're not great in these one run games. For Jazz to hit that type of bomb in a leverage spot. Firstly, what a bomb, by the way. Down on one knee, Oppo. I don't know what the the uh, the, the the angle, what the launch angle was. It was it was low, and the ball just kind of seemed to travel wall scraper, but. Jazz has been the heartbeat for this Marlins team this year, hasn't he? And he has been absolutely electric. And he should absolutely be in the MVP conversation. What about you? I think, I think yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. He he has done everything he needs to do. And as you said, you know, MLB.com, and I think I saw a, an article from Fangraphs, you know, so you've got, you know, you open up what is probably one of the leading websites for, for information and stats and you've got this big picture and article about Chisholm. And I don't think I've ever seen a Marlins player on the front page like that, ever. And I think it is testament to how well he's playing right now that he's getting all this love nationally. Because, you know, as a Marlins fan, there is always that, that case of, I, I can see because I watch pretty much every game, and I can see because I care so much about looking at the stats and how well these players are performing, and they never get any national love. So for Chisholm to be able to do that as as basically the face of the franchise at this point is is so wonderful that he's he's living up to those expectations. Now, I'm not going to say anything right now about the reasons why I had the concerns and and why they are still concerns for me because right now he's absolutely red hot, and you know, Babbitt be damned, strikeout great be damned, walk great be damned. At the moment he is performing and he is, yeah, he is in that he is in that race for, you know, top five at the position, you know, that MVP discussion. You know, if he continues to perform like he's performing and goes 30, 30, 280, or something anywhere near those numbers, that's that's super good. Um but at the moment he is at this point offensively almost a one-man band you know jesus has gone down you know a little bit from recent hot streaks coop's still there i'm always going to give a bit of love to coop he's still there you know getting on base you know getting some timely knocks every now and then mm. but realistically we need other guys to step up we, we you know we can't keep scoring three four runs a game um and sometimes we wish that we could we could score as many as three or four runs a game. Yeah. It, the offense just needs some kind of spark, and if Chisholm isn't going to spark the team to do to do more, you know, what 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 is going to happen? Yeah. Because if I'm playing with Chisholm and I'm seeing what he's bringing to the ballpark every single night, that's going to make me want to up my game. And at the moment, I don't think we've seen that from anybody yet. No, I'm with you. Jazz has been, yeah, it has been pretty much a one-man band, unfortunately. And not unfortunately, I mean, Jazz has been absolutely red hot and it's been great to see. And listen, when you just see Jazz, he's out there, chains around the neck. He's got, what, six buttons open on his shirt. He's got these shades on that definitely aren't sporting shades. Like, they are not meant to be worn on a baseball field ever. They're meant to be worn, I'm not sure where, some sort of high-end bar. Um, you know, everything's just looking nice. Jazz Chisholm, he is a marketer's dream, not only by looks, but the production on the field is just sensational. So, you know, all in on this one, but the rest of the Marlins team lineup, I mean, in particular, 
guys need to step up. Like, because, you know, Miggy Rose really scuttling too. He's scuttled all year. The two big free agents, you know, acquisitions have scuttled. Aggie and Coop have been the kind of mainstays, the kind of steady Eddie. So those guys have added a bit of, um, you know, a bit of meat in there. But Jesus Sanchez is having his kind of sophomore slump moment now too. Wendell's been nice, but the hamstring's a problem. It is a big problem there with Wendell. I'm intrigued to see how they play that. We had the same with Alfaro last season. Try to kind of rest it, bring him back, rest it, bring it back, and in the end, ended up on the IL. You know, maybe they need to, need to make the call. If BA can get get back, which I think he will, maybe you just need to say, hey, listen, Wendell, just have a seat for 10 days. Get yourself right. I think that's going to help us in the long term. So, listen, it's a really intriguing moment, I think, for the Marlins right now. Jazz is scorching. Pablo's in the side conversation. Sandy's at his best start of the year. Some guys are starting to heat up. The offense needs to really get it together on this homestand. Brewers, Nats, Bravos. I'm I'm not sure about this Brewers series, but what I know is the Marlins are playing the NL East well this year. So the Nats and, and Bravos coming to town, I think it's a good time for them to be coming to town. I think, you know, listen, the Marlins need to stay in, in it. They need to stay around 500. If they don't, Things are going to get ugly quickly because the problem is even the wild cards. There's one extra wild card, but it is right now. There's teams that are six games ahead of the Marlins in the wild card spots, and so that could disappear quickly too with the Mets <clears throat> if they keep their foot down on the gas and keep pressing forward. And at the moment, you know what's to say they won't? We'll wait and see. So big, big series for the Fish here. Obviously, they're celebrating the 25-year anniversary of the 1997. World Series, so it's going to be a lot of fun. It's pre-my time, so I won't know the guys as much, but I'm really looking forward to the storylines. Anything particularly you're looking forward to, Sean, for, for the 25 year of the 1997 World Series team? I, I, it's pre-my time as well. Um, so I got I got into uh, baseball about six or seven years later on, so I, I remember the 2003 World Series quite fondly. Um, that was the first year that I really got into it. So, but no, I'm interested in seeing some of the old, obviously when you become a Marlins fan and you look back in the history and you hear these names and, you know, you watch the, 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 the you know, watch the games um, that looked like they were recorded 50 years ago, not 25 years ago. Um, but no, I'm interested to see, you know, the Marlins sometimes have been accused of, of not recognizing their past enough. So I think this will be really interesting to see just the excitement in the ballpark. I think, you know, the reason why they're doing it and, and what they're hoping for is obviously a bit of a boost in attendance. So, you know, if, if 10, 15,000, we saw what Marlins uh, Lone Depot Park can look like when it's, when it's full. So 10, 15,000 people just to see all that excitement, you know, I think would be good for, you know, well, for me as a viewer, watching the game and seeing people in the stands having fun, I think that's always interesting. Uh, so that's one thing that I'm looking at. And I think you're right in the sense of this really does feel like a crossroads. I know it's early and, you know, 162 games, but as you said, the Marlins are already five, six games behind the wild card, nine games at home now, you know, six, seven against the, the National League East, you know, we know that the Marlins are probably playing for the wild card, but still you want to beat the teams in your division. The Marlins only pick up three wins in the next nine. You're really, you know, you're then at a point where you're going. We've got a long road to get back to 500. I think, yes, the Marlins need to be playing 
you know, they need to get four, four or five at the very least, just, just to stay in contact. And, and that's what we've said for the last few weeks. We've said, get to June, get to July, be in touch in distance of 500, be in touch in distance of the wild card. This is where the Marlins really need to recognise that, you know, they can't keep just dropping these silly one-run games. Mm, absolutely. All right, Sean. Well, that is us done for Thursday's episode of Locked on Marlins. That has been a lot of fun. We've we've covered a lot of ground there. Um, I said 25 minutes, and we've we've probably gone 45. So there you go. Bit of bonus time for, for you guys out there listening and enjoying. Um, right, that is us done. Sean Barrett, Peter Pratt, Locked on Marlins, Thursday episode out of here. We're back tomorrow on Friday, pre-game with the UK Brew Crew guys. So stay tuned for that one, guys. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy the off day. Relax, rest, recover, come back strong tomorrow for Corbin Burns versus Pablo Lopez.